Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What's going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Nathan DeSaw. And I'm Ridzwan Merchant. And today, we are reviewing uh, part four of the Ahsoka series, uh, Fallen Jedi, as it's called. Uh, really excited. Uh, I literally just got back. From, my wife and I were on vacation for Labor Day to visit my parents. I got back home. This was the first thing I watched. It's fresh on my mind, so I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, before we get started, though, uh, we want to uh, stress that as we are recording this, uh, the Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild strikes are ongoing, and we want to stress that we uh, are fully support the strike and those who participate in it. We are not doing this to promote... Uh, we are not being paid to promote this. We are not promoting the uh, work of Disney. We are doing this to promote the hard work of the writers and actors without whom, without whose hard work shows like this would not be possible. And it's especially the case with this show since Rosario Dawson, who plays Ahsoka, is part of the Screen Actors Guild. We fully support them and their cause. We want them to get paid a lot better for all their hard work because without their hard work, we wouldn't get amazing shows like this. Give them the residuals and proper residuals. Dang yep. it. It's not hard. Come on. Oh, man. I I just, like, I don't know, man. It's so stupid how they don't pay these people. Yeah. But, uh, Nate, the episode last night, mm-hmm. well, for you today, but what do you think of it, man? Uh, this is probably, okay, even if you take out the big bombshell that happens at the end of this episode, I would probably still say that this is the best. Even if you remove that scene completely, and yeah, um, this is still the best episode of the whole show. You know, it has. Um, I mean, first of all, a lot happens in it, but not so much that it's moving so fast that you can't. Like I don't know, it's kind of weird to explain where. I don't feel like too much happened in terms of plot here, aside from a few major things, but that's okay because they give a lot of time for the characters to yeah, like and, take a much deeper look into them. I and guess we need say. that, definitely, because we get a lot of bombshell moments for the characters as well. Like, one thing we're going to probably delve into quite a bit is the bombshell of Ahsoka and Sabine's relationship and some mm-hmm. of their backstory in the last, like, five years or so. so uh, but, but to kind of sum up what happens here, just for the audience, without yeah. giving any spoilers. Okay, so in the previous episode, uh, Sabine and Ahsoka were shot down on the planet Setos, and they crashed there. So in this episode, um, while Hu Yang is still trying to repair their ship... Uh, Sabine and Ahsoka, after they fight off these assassin droids that ambush them, they go to try and find the base so that they can get the map. Um, but then they get assaulted by uh, Shin and uh, Marak, and, you know, we get this big fight. Ahsoka defeats Marak, and we find out that he wasn't really much of anything. He just kind of vanishes, uh, which, I mean... I don't know. I mean, some people might find that disappointing, but I'm cool. You don't have to force like a big character and everything. I um, just think it's hilarious that you and I spent a good couple of minutes last podcast yeah, going through these fan theories, theorizing who Marok is. And like all the other Inquisitors, Ahsoka took them down like the chumps that they are. Yep. Um, but to continue... Uh... Sabine fights against Shin, and, you know, they have the, 
you know, they have a pretty cool uh, fight, you know, where Sabine shows the ball. She can't use the force. She's still skilled enough to actually go. I wouldn't say head-to-head, but she proves to be more difficult than you would think for Shin. I I would actually say head-to-head here, Nate, because... Okay. Dear God, like, Sabine should not have been able to give her that much of a challenge. If she's truly as bad of a fighter as the fandom's trying to tell right now, like, everyone's out there on the internet saying, oh, well, Sabine is not actually that great because she couldn't learn the Force. But look, she don't even need the Force. She's out here doing her thing without any real connection to the Force, and she's still holding her own Mm-hmm. against the equivalent of a Jedi Padawan, I'd imagine. That's what yeah. I think Sin's level of uh, technique is at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if not a Padawan level, she's at least a knight, at the most. But I would rate her as a Padawan, just given the story we're in right now. Yeah. So, the fact that she can hold her own against somebody who's been trained in the Force... By somebody, and let me stress this, Lord Balin is one of the only people in the galaxy at this point, aside from Ahsoka and uh, Kelstis, who are trained by the Jedi from the Republic days. Yeah. Luke is self-taught, basically. I mean, he had like a week. Of Obi-Wan and Yoda combined, probably. Maybe two weeks at most, we're talking. Two weeks at most. So, he's not really well-trained by real Jedi masters who mastered the Force. Um, So, Sin is trained by somebody who is trained by them. So, that lineage of the mastery is strong here. Meaning, Sin should know more than the people coming out of Luke's new emergent school, right? Like, mm-hmm. so the fact that Sabine can hold her own against somebody with that type of background, to me, is pretty badass. Yeah. I especially love the part where uh, Sabine, uh, she holds her hand up and uh, Shin almost on like impulse, like winces a bit as if she's expecting yeah. a bush and then she's like oh okay you can't use the force you have no power and then Sabine shoots her with a wrist rocket that was and that was th- awesome that's a bit of a callback to rebels when Sabine does something very similar to Ezra when mm-hmm. Kanan is training her yeah like, I remember that I thought that was a pretty nice little nod back to the original days mm-hmm. I just wish that they would name drop Kanan already. Like, actually say his name on the TV show. Yeah, please. They got his kid. They got his wife. Mm-hmm. They danced around the fact that Kanan was the one that died last episode. But they can't seal the deal for some reason. And I'm very confused and intrigued on why. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Nate. Carry on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, it's cool. That was still... Um, now, we get a bit of a side plot where Hera decides, okay, if the New Republic isn't going to help, then screw it. I'm a general. I can disobey orders because I'm a general. What are they going to do? So she uh, she puts Jason in the uh, in the ghost and sets off with Chopper. And there was actually this cool scene where she gets accompanied by a bunch of X-Wings, one of which is piloted by uh, Carson Teva, who is a recurring... Uh, we saw him as an X-Wing pilot in uh, The Mandalorian previously. Uh, I I think he's meant to get like his own spinoff show at some point, but... He, he was until the unfortunate stuff happened with... Uh, Gina Carrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they were going to call it like the Rangers of the New Republic or something. Mm-hmm. It was like a... It was set around those characters, but when her when her drama began, 
Um, I think they scrapped it for some reason. I don't know why. I think they could have still done it without her. But yeah, but it's still cool to see him. I, I like I like the actor who plays him. Yeah. in a bunch of things. Um, and it's nice to kind of get the continuation of a Marvel verse type thing in the Star Wars universe, where the TV shows are all happening basically at the same time, and mm-hmm. We get overlap where people are cameoing back and forth. Yeah. And the last time we saw this character, I believe he was in a bar talking to Zebra. I might have to see that. I need to finish Mandalorian season three. Oh, well, that's a spoiler for you. Uh, No, 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 but it's okay. (laughs) That's already been spoiled for me by... uh... I already know that Zeb appears in live action, so don't worry about that. No, I know you know that. I didn't know if you knew, like... Yeah. Um, yeah. But what's funny is that when this scene happens and you see those X-Wings sneak up on her, I thought, oh, no, Hera, they're going to shoot you because that's what these things normally happen. You're not authorized to leave. And then... But no, they're accompanying her. That That's awesome. I love that. I love that twist. Um but uh, anyway, um, so back on Setos, uh, uh, Ahsoka arrives where the star map is. Uh, while this is happening, uh, the um, the hyperspace ring is uh, downloading the coordinates for the new galaxy off the star map, and Ahsoka has to get it before they can do it. And we get this big like exposition with her and Balin. Um, you know, Balin kind of reveals. Well, uh, first he talks about how Anakin spoke highly of him because you know, remember Balin is part of the uh, old Republic era Jedi. So he would know who Anakin is. Um, and we get a little bit more of an in um, of an insight into like what he's all about. Like he apparently he wants to bring back Thrawn because he wants to start a new war because in his eyes, if he starts a new war, it'll unleash something it'll create, it'll give him a greater power or something like something like, I don't know. It's, could you explain it a bit more? Riz? It was kind of hard to explain. So Balin is trying to remove the corruption of the empire and the Republic by having one more war where Thrawn comes out on top because I think he thinks Thrawn will be the savior of the, uni- the galaxy and bring order back and he'll rule justly. Um, Which, if we know Thrawn, that's kind of a... That's a safe assumption to make, I guess you could say. No, I think... Okay, so after reading that book, I think... Uh-huh. So, we have an unreleased podcast talking about the Thrawn first novel right now. I know we said we're going to release it before this episode, but life happens, right? Anyway, um, the, the, the book really gives us an insight into Thrawn that we didn't have from Rebels, and Thrawn is a very benevolent kind of guy. Like, he's not some evil henchman of the Empire, which is why I find it so interesting that all these people think the minute... Thrawn comes back, the Empire is going to rise again. I I have trouble believing that's going to really happen. Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, that's Balin's idea, that they basically want to reset, in my opinion. Like, that's what he's going for here. And uh, he, basically, Balin offers Ahsoka to join him. Uh, which, of course, she doesn't. And he actually looks pretty disappointed when Ahsoka ignites her saber, which implies to me that I don't think Balin is really evil. So, I don't know. It's He reminds me a lot of Count Dooku in those episodes of Tales of a Jedi. Not evil, just horribly misguided. Yeah, um, there's definitely some callbacks to that in terms of, like, plot. But also, I th- I just think Balin... Balin thinks he's doing what's best for the the galaxy. He's not trying to do it for his own self-purposes. He's doing it for the betterment of everyone in his mind. Mm-hmm. Is he doing it the right way? Heck no, but he's definitely going to try. 
but they kind of sum up the episode. We get a huge lightsaber battle. Then Ahsoka gets really angry when she assumes that uh, Shin killed Sabine when Sabine show when she so shows up but Sabine isn't there. And then Ahsoka supposedly gets killed when she gets knocked over the edge by Balin. Um, and but before she did that, she managed to get the map, and then Sabine picks it up, and she threatens to destroy it. But uh, she's convinced to work with Balin because earlier in the episode, um, Ahsoka was uh, kind of saying, maybe we shouldn't go after Ezra because we could also find Thrawn, and that could create a lot of bad things. And she's basically telling Sabine not to let her emotions get in the way, but... Of course, because Sabine wants to find Ezra, she ultimately gives in. Um, there, and- there is a second motivation here. The first motivation is if Thrawn, well, okay, if Balin succeeds, then we don't want somebody evil in the eyes of Ahsoka to bring back Thrawn. So better to not bring back either Ezra or Thrawn yeah. than to bring back Thrawn. The second right. motivation is trying to tell Sabine, look, sometimes as a Jedi and sometimes as somebody in our position, we have to make the tough call and you have an attachment to Ezra, which is fine, but it makes your judgment more clouded and she's trying to give her a lesson at the same time. And I got a huge thing I want to say about that, but I'll say that after I'm done just giving okay. a this. Um uh, so they get the map, uh, and they head out to, uh, the, to this new galaxy where Thrawn is supposedly located with, uh, Sabine on board. Um, and this, uh, kind of paralyzes, uh, this is just when Hera and Carson arrive. Uh, most of the X-Wings are destroyed, but, uh, Hera and Carson survive. And then the episode ends Plot with... armor! Yep. Uh, this episode ends with Ahsoka waking up in the world between worlds, as we saw in Rebels. Great to see it in live action. I love it. And I am not going to say what happens after that, because someone spoiled this for Riz like a jerk, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody else. I'm not going to well, say Well, okay, so, okay, so I'm okay spoiling it only because if you're, in this, if you're listening this far into the podcast, you want a recap of what's going on here. Okay. All right. Um, then I guess we can spoil so it. I'm okay. okay talking about it because if you're here, that means you want to be spoiled. If you don't want to be spoiled, you should have stopped listening to us about 16 and a half minutes ago. But anyway, we, uh, we hear a voice saying, hey, Snips. Didn't expect to see you here. And I, and you know, when I heard that, like, I'm just like, wait, really? Is this real? And then we see Anakin, Hayden Christensen as Anakin. And I screamed so loud that if you were in the other room and didn't know who I was, you would think I'm, I'm a woman. Like, that's how high-pitched my voice was. That's my, I wish my, your wife had recorded this, man. Yeah, my wife re- regrets that she didn't film me. Yeah. You know, she, she regrets that she didn't fil- film me when I reacted to seeing Luke in the last episode of season two of The Mandalorian, and she regrets this now. Okay, so what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to get your wife's phone number, and I'm going to have to tell her next time something like this happens, so I can text her to be sneaky beforehand. Yeah, because if she knows that I know that I'm filming, I'm going to act differently. Well, That's yeah. Said. Um, but yeah, so we see Anakin at the end, which is a major thing, which I want to give a lot of attention to, but I do want to touch on other things first, because if we go down the Anakin train right now, I'm scared we may not come out for a couple of hours. Yeah. So, um, I'd like to actually circle back to what I mentioned earlier about the Sabine and Ahsoka backstory that we got some indication of tonight. So Sabine mentions 
that her entire family was killed due to a mistake Ahsoka made in years prior. Now, what exactly happened? I don't know. But Ahsoka and Sabine have history here. And this actually is very fascinating because in The Mandalorian, uh, Nate, this is an, a small spoiler, but not a big deal for you. So I'm, I'm comfortable saying this. Yeah. Um, when The Mandalorian start to unite all the clans, Clan Wren is actually not present. Oh. In the, um, in the roll call. And I didn't catch it at the time because there are so many clans being mentioned that Clan Wren slipped my mind until last night. Okay. And so that that made sense why we don't see Clan Wren in The Mandalorian because all the members of the, of the family died prior except for Sabine and this in my opinion is a very big deal like I know this only got like a minute of time in the episode but this speaks a lot to Sabine's mental state right now and why I can overlook her decision later on in the episode to help Balin start the hyperdrive up Sabine lost her entire family yeah, I never really had that big of a deal with that anyway, just because she and Ezra are really close. I can understand in general why she would want to be well, that desperate to find Ezra. I know a lot of people in fandom were not happy with the decision she made. They thought it was out of character for her. But when you really stop and think about it, Sabine's had a very rough life. First, she's excommunicated from Clan Wren for at least five years, maybe longer. I don't know how long that lasted for. And she finally gets back in their good graces in season three or four of uh, Rebels, and they start to rebuild their connection. And at the same time, she loses what I would consider a surrogate father figure in her life. Kanan. Mm-hmm. Like, Kanan, to, to her, is a surrogate father. And losing him is a big deal. She then goes on to lose Ezra, who, depending who you talk to, is either somebody she loves like a brother, or loves like she has a crust on the guy. Yeah. I I can go either way. I don't know which way I want to lean in that particular discussion. But definitely she has really big feelings for Ezra. So at this point, all she has left in terms of her family is Sabine, Sopper, and Jason. I don't know if I would count Ahsoka and the family... Yeah. Because she wasn't around a lot. Even even when she was present, she wasn't present because she was off doing her own missions. She was off doing her own fulcrum stuff. They'd interact every now and then when it suited the needs of the many. But overall, they didn't have to really interact a whole lot. Like Ahsoka was, on, was not on many missions comparatively to the rest of the specter crew so sabine being in this what i would consider a fragile state where she is clawing to get some semblance of her family back beyond hera and jason and that's why she did not take part in the events of the mandalorian because that's the question i had prior to this beginning was if Sabine was here, why didn't she come and help Grogu and Din and the Mandalorian? Yeah. And the answer is, she's so 
narrow-sighted and focused on restoring Ezra that everything else doesn't matter to her. She wants her family back. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way she can do it. So she gets focused on that. She sees an opportunity to work with Balin um, to do, you know, to bring Ezra back. And I think she has in the back of her mind a betrayal plan for when Ezra is recovered, they're going to betray Balin and, you know. Yeah, that sounds like Sabine. So she's being very Mandalorian right now in her own way. Which is very fitting for Sabine because she's not a traditional Mandalorian by any mean of the imagination. Nope. So, I I just think this entire thing was really well set up. Um. I I I'm just floored at how much detail they really put into this from the back end. And they kind of go off of that from like. Ahsoka's thing, like I said, I was going to talk about, you know, Ahsoka's talk with uh, Ezra now. Um, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this for a while, like Ahsoka, um, you know, some people kind of um, have issues with how Ahsoka has been since we've seen her as like adult Ahsoka, where she's played by Rosario Dawson, um, starting with like the, uh, with um, her Mandalorian thing. And I, the more I think about it, kind of think that it's a very, like, I see what she's trying to do as a character, but this episode is showing that that, this new mentality that she has is also not working. So, so let's, so let's backtrack. And this might go on for a little bit, but I kind of want to explain. So, Let's go back to when we first met Ahsoka, like way back when uh, she and Anakin first met on Christopsis in the Clone Wars. She was a very bubbly, you know, young, wide-eyed, curious Jedi, you know, she, and she had a lot of, you know, friends, like, you know, she formed like a, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, she's technically Anakin's first child. So that's true. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, I guess. But mm-hmm. I, I would I would consider that relationship more of an older brother, younger sister type thing rather than a father figure. Yeah, but the, but even then, the point is, is that there's a big attachment. There. Oh yeah, definitely. And then she had like a sisterly friendship with uh, Barra Sophie, and um, yeah, well, and. What happened to both of those attachments that she did? Well, Barris Ophi did uh, try to blow up the Jedi Temple and then framed Ahsoka for it so that she wouldn't get in trouble. So that attachment led to her getting stabbed in the back. And then uh, when she, uh, and then with Anakin, she saw him, she thought he was dead after um you know the whole order 66 thing only to find out in rebels as we see that he is darth vader and the last major thing that we saw her happen to her in rebels before ezra saved her like her last big story um was her literally seeing anakin's face in darth vader and her hearing the voice of anakin as she knew anakin literally telling her that he's going to kill her like, imagine how soul-crushing that is. Yeah. And she's formed these attachments. And then now that she's an adult and she's been brought back and, um, and you know, we can probably say that, like, the first big thing that she did after, you know, she and Ezra parted ways that we've seen her do is encounter Din and Grogu on that planet. It's there that she refuses to train Grogu because she doesn't want to form an attachment with Grogu. Uh, they keep talking to us about how her training with Sabine didn't go well. We can assume that maybe she was trying to avoid forming a similar attachment to Sabine. And now here she is also telling Sabine that she shouldn't let this attachment to Ezra get in her way. So it's clear that now because of all these horrible things that have happened to her, 
and also seeing what happened to Anakin because Anakin had all these major attachments like with Padme and uh, even her leading him to becoming the most evil Sith Lord in the galaxy. Well, She's, Palpatine. Well, okay. You, you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, like she's trying to put up walls to make sure that she doesn't form attachments, not to make the same mistake that Anakin did. But here's the funny thing. When she thinks that Sabine has been killed by Shin, you can see her giving into the dark side during that action scene, which I think is showing that her trying to cut off all attachment and do the exact opposite thing that Anakin did, that can also lead to her feeling empty inside. And it can also help turn her to the dark side. Agreed. And and that, that was a, you know, I saw Star Wars Explains take on that. um, And part of me also wants to think that maybe she, thinks that way because she we kind of know from book of boba from book of boba fett that she's spoken with luke every once in a while and um there is a book that i've read um the book that i'm reading shadow of the sith establishes that luke is trying to cut off attachment as well which kind of makes me wonder what what ahsoka is going to tell luke about that uh after this whole thing but that's that's a totally different conversation for a different time uh but yeah I, I do like how I the more that I think about it, I feel like this episode is kind of starting to bring Ahsoka's new mentality of not wanting to create new attachments. It's starting to show the negative consequences of that, how that can have how even though she's trying to avoid becoming what Anakin became, what she's doing could just make the problem worse. Well, so. Ahsoka, very similar to Sabine, has meticulously over the, over her lifetime had her entire world turned upside down and truth be told, she was powerless to do anything about it. Yep. Um, she, she tried to help, but first she is kicked out of the Jedi Order, and then she's brought back, but she can't deal with that betrayal, so she leaves. And I think she regrets leaving when she sees Order 66, because she might have the survivor's guilt about it, like how Kanan did. And I think Kel also had it in uh, Fallen Order, if I remember correctly. Um, Yeah, I think Cal had some survivor's guilt. Yeah, but... Ahsoka definitely had it, and she also, you gotta think, she grew up in the Republic during the Clone Wars. It's one thing for the war to end, it's another thing for your world to turn upside down, your entire people that you identified with be eradicated, and then you have this guy who's converting the entire social economic structure that you grew up in is changing to become this empire and people are fighting against him because they think he's evil. So he's basically living in a nightmare at this point, dude. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's nothing in her life that's really positive at this point. So, and this continues, right? Like, she figures out when Rebels begins that Anakin is Darth Vader and she doesn't really get a chance to process that on screen in Rebels because it's such a quick thing. Um, but I think over the next 10, 15 years from that moment, she's had a lot of time to process and She's very conflicted because on one hand, she loves Anakin like a brother. On the other hand, she doesn't know how to, how to feel about this. And I think, I don't think Sabine and Ahsoka's falling out is entirely Ahsoka being wary of attachment. I definitely think that's why she didn't want to take on Grogu, and that's why she didn't want to help Luke with the school. But 
I definitely think there's more to the Sabine and Ahsoka story because I think Sabine is dealing with her own personal problems because she knows she doesn't have that connection to the Force. So yeah, yeah, Sabine. There's definitely some factors with Sabine as well. I'm just saying that like Ahsoka not wanting to form attachments. Yeah. You know, and, and while Sabine does have these attachments, that creates a lot of friction in the relationship. Now, also consider this. You mentioned something very interesting a few minutes ago, Nate. You said something along the lines of Luke and Ahsoka having a talk after this is all over about attachments. What does Luke do in the sequel trilogy? He goes off, lives in the woods of some planet, and cuts out, cuts himself off from his best friend, his sister, and the world that he fought hard to save. And I think I'm I'm kind of hoping that there's some kind of cross into this, like where. Ahsoka's story is part of an impact for why Luke is the way he is. It it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily fix the sequel trilogy for me, but it would be a nice little dog bone, if you would, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested to see how this progresses um, going forward, and I'll be I'll be paying very close attention to that yeah i talked for quite a bit there so nate please take the floor (laughs) i mean i i already said like the big thing i wanted to take a deeper look into like but this kind of plays off what i said at the beginning about how i feel like this is the best episode in the series because it feels like in this episode there's not a whole lot of story because when you really think about it the only thing that really happens plot-wise is that Ahsoka tries to stop Balin from using the star map, but they get it anyway. Ahsoka supposedly dies. Sabine joins Balin, sort of, and then they leave. Like, I could literally say that in one sentence. The reason why this is the best, though, is that because the story is minimal, we're were instead able to like, you know, well, first of all, great action. I mean, the lightsaber duel between Ahsoka and Balin was awesome. But, I mean, setting aside the action, a lot of the dialogue and conversation does have a lot to do with characters. I mean, we get, like I just said, I mean, Ahsoka wanting Sabine to let go of Ezra for the sake of the galaxy because, I mean, sure, we may not find Ezra, but, I mean is finding Ezra really worth setting Thrawn free? Like, I mean, something like that. And, you know, with the big analysis that I gave, you know, you have Sabine. Like you said, and I didn't really mention, the dialogue setting up that Sabine lost her whole Mandalorian family really speaks volumes to why she would give in to Balin Skulls, um, you know, talk of, like, because she just wants to find Ezra. And, um... And even, you know, the I, I'm starting to really like Balin's skull and, like, what he wants to do with oh, the, yeah. the galaxy. Like, he might be I, – I still need to see what Andor looks like all the way through, but this guy might be the most intriguing Disney Plus live-action Star Wars film. Like, actually, I, I can say that with confidence because I don't hate Moff Gideon as the main villain of Mandalorian, but he does – but – there's something about I would say that Baywin Skull is better than Moff Gideon, and he's I don't hate Reva, but he's a lot better than Reva from Obi Wan too. And I haven't seen uh, Andor all the way through, so I don't know who the main villain of that show is. But yeah, so far I would say he's the best live action Disney Plus show villain that we've gotten. Agreed, and I think part of why Balin resonates so much with you and I is because he's not really a villain. Like, he's literally there because he thinks he can help the galaxy progress, 
rather than hinder it. And I think that's pretty admirable that he's able to, you know, do that. And the more I think about it, it kind of, you know, speaks some into what you were telling me. Like, when you were here for Ranger Stop and we were, like, you know, talking about some Star Wars stuff on the side, you mentioned how when it comes to the dark side, you have the Sith, but then you have Dark Jedi. Dark yeah. Jedi aren't always necessarily evil, but the the Sith are evil. Dark Jedi is where maybe they're not necessarily evil because they look at the Sith as being like a cult. And I think Baywin Skull kind of speaks volumes to that. Is he a Dark Jedi? Yes. But he's a Dark Jedi, but he still ultimately has benevolent intentions, just horribly yeah. misguided. So, I mean, it kind kind of, I don't know if it was appropriate for me to bring up what you said at the con. No, no, no. I was going to actually expand on it more. Yeah, you um, did. Yeah, so this is why I don't consider Balin, like, true evil. Because, like you said that I said, wow, that's confusing. Um, like I said to you a couple of months ago, the Sith are basically a cult of people who believe in the extreme side of the dark side. Much like, in my opinion, the Jedi, some of the Jedi, at least in the the order, are the extreme end of the light side. And I consider Bendu, Ahsoka, to be more light side, but not leaning all the way to that extreme, like maybe Mace or uh, Obi-Wan would have leaned. In the same way, I don't think Balin has the same belief that Sidious and Vader and Darth Plagueis and all the others before him had. So, you know, Palpatine was very evil. Like, he had an evil agenda, and he was very intentional with it. But Balin doesn't have an evil agenda for the sake of self-purpose. He has an agenda that leans evil because he thinks this is the way forward for everyone. And that's where he gets hung up in his philosophy. So, yeah, I, I definitely see, like, why you think this about Balin because definitely Balin and Sin well Sin's a little bit more of a feral monster in my opinion but um Balin is very much a dark Jedi because I think he believes in like maybe he's more interested in the dark side of the force but he's not necessarily interested in the idea of there is only two, a master and an apprentice or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a thing. Uh, was there anything else to uh, mention here? Um, no, I think we've covered these characters pretty well. Um, I think the only thing left... Well, okay, no, there is one more thing I do want to uh, touch on real quick with you. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you've been reading fandom lately, but there have been people who think Ahsoka's character in the TV show has been bland because she speaks in one lines and short sentences and she doesn't really give a lot. And like you and I just finished talking about, I think the reason her character is a bit more reserved, less talkative, less expressive, is because she's so scarred by the attachments she formed and lost. Losing Barisophie, losing Padme, losing Anakin, losing the entire order, that took a huge toll on her. And I think that's showing right now in her demeanor more than anything else. But I just want to hear your thoughts based on that. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, when you really think about it, so, like, 
let's kind of look with Ahsoka. Like, so we saw her on Malachor, where she literally saw like it's bad enough that she knows that Anakin is Darth Vader, but then to see Anakin's face behind the helmet and hear the Anakin voice, and I know I'm repeating myself, but to hear Anakin's voice literally saying that he's going to kill her, that is a whole nother factor. And then we don't see her for season three. We see her briefly at the end of season four where Ezra pulls her out and saves her. And then we don't really know what's what happened between, well, okay. We know a little bit like, you know, how she met Din, Dejarin and Grogu on that planet and blah, blah, blah. But, we don't really know what happened, at least um, up to the Battle of Endor. We don't know what Ahsoka was doing uh, throughout the Galactic Civil War. And for all we know, like, she was just horribly traumatized by what happened, simply just seeing. I mean, again, like, you can say that she knew that Anakin was Darth Vader for a while, but. It's a whole new ball game when she sees Anakin's face, mm-hmm. and you know, and you know she, and she had a different. And you could argue that maybe it's different with Obi. Maybe that's not an excuse because Obi Wan had the same thing where he saw Anakin's face in behind Darth Vader's mask, and Vader said, "I'll destroy you," but. I mean, with Obi-Wan, he, he was a much more mature Jedi who just kind of learned to accept that Anakin was dead. Ahsoka and Anakin had a completely different relationship. Like, it's one thing, yeah. like, Obi-Wan just kind of ultimately looked at Anakin as, like, his brother, but then his friend. But because but Obi-Wan has more... He was a, he was a Jedi Master, so I feel like he has the more mental constitution to just accept that Anakin is dead. I wouldn't say that with Ahsoka because she never even became a Jedi Knight. She isn't as mentally strong as Obi-Wan. And I'm not saying that to insult her. That's just how she is. She's a lot younger. And therefore, I would imagine that from the timeline between when Ezra pulled her out of that, um, of her incident with Vader up until the post-Battle of Endor era where she's all of a sudden now trying to find Grand Admiral Thrawn, I would imagine that she's just, she spent that time training herself to let go of the attachments and completely change who she is because, I mean, if, if I'm in Ahsoka's place, I would think, wow, this guy who was like my older brother, I literally just saw him get wrecked with like fury, like red with fury in his eyes, telling me that he's going to kill me. Yeah. I can't let something like this happen to me again. And that's why I think she's the way that she is now. And I think that's perfect. Not only that, but one thing that, uh, Hugh, Hugh Wong, I can't say his name. Hugh Yang. Hugh Yang said in the, um, earlier episode, episode three, that Sabine comes from a very peculiar lineage of masters. And the thing about her learning from Anakin is Anakin struggled with attachment. So obviously when he's teaching his Padawan, the lessons of attachment will come through even though they shouldn't be. But Obi-Wan while he was trained by Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon understood more about attachment and didn't have any real attachment, I don't think. He was just more rebellious and uh, free-thinking, but he didn't have like those personal attachments like how Anakin did. So Obi-Wan was able to differentiate, and that's why he could accept Anakin died more readily than Ahsoka could. Yep. Now, I think we've done enough uh, expose here. We need to talk about Anakin in that last scene. I mean, I mean, there's not much to talk since he's just he's just well, there. But I'm kind of curious. Why were they playing Vader music when the screen faded to black? That that's one question I have. 
But before we get there, I do want to ask, what do you think is, what, what Anakin did we get here? Is this an Anakin plucked from some other point in time in the world beyond worlds and he's kind of chilling waiting for Ahsoka? Is this some kind of force apparition type thing? Is it a really more advanced force ghost than what we've had seen in the past? I mean, there, I mean there's it, a lot of different things that we could go with here for what this really is that we're looking at. Yeah, that's kind of where um, I... I want to think that it's just a straight up force ghost of like Anakin and like redeemed from like, and like his post Vader redemption. Part of the reason why I would like to think that is because, um, and kind of a spoiler here, uh, there's a scene in shadow of the Sith where Luke is looking for uh, something and he gets approached by the force ghost of Anakin and the book specifically, uh, describes Anakin as looking like Hayden Christensen Anakin, not uh what's his name? Uh Sebastian Shaw's version of Anakin. Sebastian mm-hmm. Shaw's the guy that played him and uh played the, the original Anakin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanna think that, but yeah, the more I think about it, since this is the world between worlds, it's not as clear of an answer as you would probably think it is. No, and I mean it could also be a hallucination. Ahsoka could be dreaming right now in the world between worlds. That's another possibility here. Um, I personally am going to be a very foolish, optimistic fanboy and say, I hope somehow this is an Anakin plucked from somewhere else in time and brought here. But... I also know that if Anakin were to know what his future was, I don't think he would do the same things he did. Yeah. So that that's the only debate I have against me firmly thinking that this is Anakin from some other point in time. Um, so yeah, it, it's very interesting to see like, to see this uh, character come out and man, they have to end it on such a, on such a cliff note, like not cliff note, cliffhanger. Wow. What is wrong with me? I think they're trying, like I saw a comment on social media and I've been looking back at it as much as I can and I can't tell. And if, and if I, and if someone who watches this does notice it, then uh, feel free to like comment down below. If you're watching this on YouTube to clarify, but, Someone said that the lightsaber that he's wearing on his side is not the, it's not the lightsaber that he would have been wielding during his Revenge of a Sith day, you know, lightsaber given to Luke and then Ray, blah, blah, blah. But um, they were saying that it was Vader's lightsaber, like his red Darth Vader era lightsaber, which kind of meshes with the idea that, which kind of meshes with the Vader theme playing at the end. So maybe this is a post Vader redeemed Anakin. I don't know, like, is there a way that I can just press a fast-forward button on this world so that I can fast-forward to next Tuesday? We've been asking that since episode one of this uh, recaps thing. I know. And they're not giving us a fast-forward button. Why can't they just be like Netflix and post the whole thing on the same day? To build anticipation. Oh, man, I just... But I mean, it, and I it, mean, they're doing a really good job of it. Uh-huh. Um, I just the one thing I regret about this entire thing with Ahsoka as a TV show is it's happening during the writer strike and uh, screen actor strike. Because, dude, if we could have the actress posting little Easter egg posts or like hints or something, we'd have more to dissect right now. But we don't. Yeah. And that kind of sucks a little bit. Mm-hmm. Only other thing I'm going to say is, okay, it's okay. You gave me Anakin. Now give me what I wanted in Kenobi. I want to see a flashback with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan 
You have Hayden Christensen there, and give me Tamora Morrison as Rex. I'm not going to shut up until you give me that. I'm also not going to shut up until you bring back Barra Sophie as an Inquisitor, but I'll I'll wait for that. I mean, I thought I was going to be Miracle this time, but you know. But but it's fine. You don't have to have a character like that turn out to be like some major character. Sometimes you could just have yeah. it be. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Sometimes you could just have some brute big Inquisitor guy just be that some big strong inaudible guy that they just have to kill. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I think next week will be a very emotional episode. And I have a lot of high hopes here for next week's episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm very jealous of all the places in the United States and I think across the world that will have a live screening of Ahsoka Episode 5 in theaters because Houston doesn't have one as far as I can tell. Oh, man. I don't know if Atlanta has one. I haven't looked. Well, I don't know if I would catch that or not, but... I would catch it regardless of what else is going on in my life that night. Yeah. Um, to see Anakin and Ahsoka interacting on a big screen... Dude, you cannot put a price on that. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll have to see if it premieres in Atlanta. Yeah. Speaking of Atlanta, we we should try to... I don't know if... They have some of the Star Wars people come to Dragon Con next year. We should try to do that. Oh my god. You guys are going to keep me going to Atlanta every like month next year at this rate. Yeah, and, I, and that would be great. Oh... If you guys are listening to this and you want me to go to Atlanta for Momocon, Ranger Stop, Dragon Con, and whatever else is out there, please consider donating to the Bank of Rids. <laughs> well, these are not cheap travel arrangements to make from Houston to Atlanta. Well, at least you can do Ranger Stop every year. I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah I don't know about everything else. Uh, what would we give this episode out of 10? You already said the number. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. I got no complaints yeah. about it. This is a 10 out of 10 episode. I know I know there's a lot of people who are very annoyed with this stuff, but dude, grow up. This is actually really good writing, and Filoni is knocking it out the park in ways that we don't even understand yet. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the next episode. Same. So we're going to actually be posting this recap earlier than our typical Friday. And I think in place of our Ahsoka recap on Friday, we're going to post our Thrawn episode, not Thrawn episode, but Thrawn book one review that we did. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like Thrawn will be appearing... Either next week, but definitely by the week after. So I'd like to put that out there so that we could at least give those of y'all that are interested more information about Thrawn without having to read the book. Which you should still go read the book because that is an amazing series right now. Yeah. I'm on the second one and I'm loving every second of it. And I need to get to the second one. Yeah, you do. I was uh, very impressed with stuff going on right now and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that said, uh, this was the Jedi Squadron Podcast. We thank you guys so much for checking us out. Um, whether you're watching us on uh, YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, we love all you guys. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, subscribe to our channel if you're not already subscribed. And uh, leave comments down below with your thoughts. And uh, we'll you know read your comments out um, to like, you know, give shout out to commentary. Uh, and, if you're watch and if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, just, you know, and you have any commentary, you can just message us at our website, AnimeSecrets.org. Um, with that said, uh, we will see you guys next time uh, when we take a look at the uh, Ahsoka, uh, at the next episode of Ahsoka. Um, of course, uh, Riz and I will be, uh, you know, whether it's Riz and me or just myself, I'll be doing some more novel reviews. I'm going to try to finish Shadow of the Sith. 
uh, this month in September and get a review for you guys out as soon as I can. And uh, then Riz and I might do the second Thrawn novel or Riz might do it by himself. We'll see how that works out. But uh, And uh, I also have a lot of other novels written up uh, for novels that I've read in the past. And if you have any novels that you want me to want me or Riz to review, uh, we'll make reviewing those a top priority. Uh, with that said, we thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out this podcast. We thank you guys for all the support. And we'll see, we will see you guys next time when we continue this Ahsoka series. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you. And may the Force be with you.